0: Welcome back to another episode of the Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and uh, my guest today is um, uh, Haley Haley Stevens. That's right. All right.
1: Hello. Hi
0: Haley, and and you are uh, what well, you're you're not from around here, are you?
1: No, not really. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're from uh, where? Where do you live?
1: I live in Bradford Avon in England, in the county of Wiltshire.
0: Wiltshire. Okay, and and you you, you're so the co-host of a of of a podcast over there.
1: That's right. Um, It's the Righteous Indignation podcast. We've um, we're we're fairly new. We've only got about 21 episodes out at the moment, but yeah, it's it's been interesting being a new podcast.
2: All right,
0: and obviously, if you were were you mentioned in uh, if you were mentioned in uh, this month's... Uh, issue of uh, Skeptical Inquirer, the uh, November December two thousand and nine, the uh, DJ Grothy he did a uh, article about um, skeptical podcasts. <sighs> no, you guys aren't there. No, I, uh, I did
1: not think we would
0: be. <laughs> no. Well, they they did uh, well they they did me. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I'm 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 like I'm like number one in his list. Um, wow although it it's not that impressive because it, it was just listed in alphabetical order. <laughs>
1: oh, right. and, I was yeah. gonna say that's really, really cool. Yeah. Like number one.
0: Yeah. And and you know he didn't uh l- like he didn't do the uh Aardverks for the advancement of science podcast. <laughs> and that would have just yeah, I would be doomed then. But
1: Yeah, it was still in the top spot.
0: Wow. So alright, so uh uh Righteous what, what, what what's righteous indignation about?
1: it's um it's a weekly podcast and we aim to critically examine uh just different extraordinary claims and news stories and the, the people who make these claims um relate you know like conspiracy the paranormal the occult and different things like that um it is quite unique in the way that it, it we interview people who i suppose you could say sit on both sides of the fence to, you know uh, people who might be psychics or mediums or claim that they can Talk to the dead, and then we'll we'd also interview people that are completely on the opposite side, and who, you know, skeptical people, rational people. Um, and so we give both kind of sides of each argument the chance, really, to to put their points of view across. Right. Oh, yeah.
0: Who, who who are your your co-hosts? You you don't do it alone.
1: <laughs> no, I don't do it alone. Um, it started off with just myself and Tristan. Tristan Swell He um he was the one who approached me about. Co-hosting it with him, and we did probably—I think it was probably about five, six episodes together—and then we realised that we need, you know, we really needed somebody else, and so we, um, it, it was almost like fate in a way. Not that I believe in fate <laughs> or anything like that, but um, we kind of just bumped into to Michael Marshall who he, he kind of helps to run the Merseyside Skeptic Society here in England. Um, and we just have to cover a story that involved him confronting a psychic. And we kind of got chatting to him because he heard us talking about him. Then we invited him on and he's just been with us ever since. We can't get rid of him. Uh, so there's, there's myself, there's Tristan and there's, there's Michael Marshall, but he we call him Marsh. Okay, I, okay. One of his like, the, the Merseyside Skeptics, they've got, two people called mike i think so yeah. he called he gets called marsh oh
0: okay I, I just refer to him as the other guy
1: the other guy yeah, yeah the
0: other guy.
1: That, that's the thing a lot of people where people um might have listened to it from the very start it's like Haley and tristan everybody seems to forget about marsh it's kind of like right. he's yeah. here he is here you know he, he feels very left out sometimes bless him
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you guys are like um you know you know podcasters sort of as a rule we're not uh, we're not an attractive people. And uh, I mean, you know, we, you know, we're don't get me wr- wrong, we're not like World of Warcraft, you know, we're not in <laughs> class like, you know, we have a non-zero chance of, uh, you know, finding a, a mate by the end of the universe. But um, you guys are like a really attractive team. Like,
2: uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, I uh, I'm confident enough that you know, I can say, oh, you, Tristan and uh, the other guy, and you, you're. you're, you're you're nice looking people, uh
1: <laughs> oh, thanks very much. I, I do I do have to say I disagree. I've met Tristan, I've seen him in real life. I don't I don't agree with that, but you know.
0: <laughs> is he is he a chav in real life?
1: Is he a chav? No, he's definitely not a chav.
0: Alright, he's not um, a soccer hooligan.
1: Not that I know of. Though I suppose really you can't tell, you never know. You never know. He might have a secret second life.
0: Wow. And yeah. uh oh sorry.
1: Nice no, to say you never know with these people.
0: That's true. And uh, oh, I should ask you the Korean questions up front if you don't mind, um, sure. which are sort of like you know personal questions. So, uh, h- how old are you?
1: I'm 22.
0: 22, and uh, you're are you married?
1: No, I'm not married. Okay,
0: and what, what, do, you, what do what do you do besides the, the skeptical thing?
1: Besides the skeptical thing, wow, wow, <laughs> this is like the, the the bit where everyone kind of recoils. I'm I'm a ghost hunter. Okay. Um, I'm the well. It's, I don't like the term ghost hunter, but it's what everyone uses, so I, I just kind of use it. Um, I'm the founder of the the Wiltshire Phenomena Research Team. We've been working in the county of Wiltshire since about I think it was late 2005 that we first started going. Um, so any time that I'm not kind of focusing on the podcast or like the the stuff associated with the podcast, I'll, I'll kind of be working um, on on the team. Um, obviously, I've also got another job. I work in retail part-time. But, um, yeah, the team takes up a lot of my time. And we're, we're kind of a sceptical team. We're a very rational team, which makes us um, like the, the minority, really, because okay. a lot of teams out there, you know, they use gadgets. They have mediums and psychics and things like that, and we don't. Um, but we, it's kind of a difficult position to take being a sceptical ghost hunter because Perfect. you get the believers – who see you as a rational researcher and they kind of go, oh, it's ridiculous, what are you doing? And then you get the sceptical skepti- people who see you as a ghost hunter and they think, you're not a sceptic, you're not a rational thinker, you hunt ghosts. So it's it's a really difficult position to take. Right.
0: Um, do, you, do, do you believe in ghosts?
1: Not really. I think uh, another question you could then ask would be, what is a ghost? Um, okay. people, people always ask me, what do you believe in ghosts? And I, I don't know what a ghost is really. I mean, there's, there's lots of theories as to what ghosts are. You know, they could be, I don't know, the spirit of a dead person or a memory supposedly caught in the fabric of a building. And there's, there's loads of theories as to what they are. Um, I used to believe in ghosts, as in, like, the afterlife and, you know, people revisiting from the afterlife to this world. But then the more I kind of did the research with the team, the less I kind of believed. And, right. I mean, I've, I've witnessed some very strange things that I can't necessarily explain, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to label them as, as paranormal or paranormal. Or ghosts, because I just don't have all the information available. Okay, all right.
0: You're kind of a bit like a um, you, you know, you know, Alison Smith, sort of over on the side of the. Uh, the Atlantic. I think yeah,
1: I've, I've heard the name.
0: Okay, yeah, because she, I think she used to be really heavily involved in sort of, uh, what was it Taps or something? She she was really big into like the ghost hunting stuff, and then, uh, yeah, and then more she sort of looked into it. I, uh, you know, more she sort of realized, wait, this is you know. Like this TV, this ghost hunting TV show, she, you know, more she sort of looked into it. She's like, don't oh, they just move that chair, you know, <laughs> like that chair, you know, supposedly moved across the room, but, you know, they had the camera right at the chair. And then, oh, you know, we accidentally turned the camera off and, oh, t- when we turned it back on, then we captured it on the other side of the room. Ooh, 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 you
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I find I find that a lot um, because when when we used to first started when we first started going out to these supposedly haunted places, things would happen and I'd be like a screaming wreck. I'd be like, Oh my god, oh my god, it's a ghost But then the more I did it, the more I started to question it. And I used to be into like I used to be a right woo really. I used to do table tipping and seances and stuff. But then as time went on I started realising that I was being, you know, maybe a bit stupid. Um and the more I looked into it I found it, it was quite fascinating really to see, you know, the, the the rational side of what was happening and and I I find it a lot uh, more interesting to try and rationalise things now rather than looking for say you know ghosts and the the strange things I like going in and looking for the the normal things
0: okay and in the uh, the uh I guess let's start with sort of the skeptical side. I mean, have you encountered anybody in the skeptical side that, you know, thought maybe you weren't skeptical enough and, you know, you, you know, you, you're an embarrassment to skeptics and blah, blah, blah. I mean, have you gotten any kind of really nasty vile criticism from that side?
1: No, not really. I mean, I mean, I, I belong to like the, the UK skeptics forum and things like that. And they openly discuss ghosts and things like that on there. Um, I think sometimes sceptical people can be a bit confused as to why someone who is, you know, like a sceptic and a, a rational thinker would be involved in paranormal research right. um, because there's like this whole image attached to ghost research that if you go looking for ghosts, you're the kind of people that believe in ghosts and you're going to be doing table tipping, you're going to have a medium with you, things like that, when that's that's not the case. Um, but I'm, no, I've never really re- received any really harsh criticism. Um, okay. I think, if anything, the, the harsh criticisms come from, like, the other side, you know, The and I, I don't mean the dead. I mean, like, the, the <laughs> believers, you know, the, the people who investigate ghosts and believe in, like, the spiritual side of things.
0: Okay, right. And uh, as you mentioned sort of on, on your podcast, you, you you interview a lot of people from, you know, from the other side, from sort of the, the, the believer side. Yeah. Yeah, which is because, um, you know, like, skeptic. Sky to the universe. People are always sort of saying like, oh, you know, I wish, I wish they had more sort of, you know, people from the other side on, and you know, you, but um, you know, they rarely do. I think maybe they've had maybe two or three guests, and and you guys seem to, if not like every other, you know, it's at least one in every three of your guests are sort of, you know, sort of proponents of uh, of uh, of you know, sort of pseudoscience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, actually, um, just speaking to some of the, the people who, because, yeah, we we explore all these different ideas that people put out there. So then to speak to the people that are putting those ideas out there, it can be quite an interesting experience. Um, and it can also be a bit scary sometimes, okay. <laughs> you, you know, talking to certain people that have these very strange ideas. Um, and you know you come to these like pauses in the interview where nobody knows what to say um <laughs> but but I think it's it's important um we felt it was important as a podcast um, a, new, a new podcast that if we were going to be exploring um the ideas that's like the unfounded unscientific ideas people are putting out there that it would maybe be an idea to actually let these people kind of put their point of view across but we do it in a way that we don't just you know, openly let them promote what they think. We we challenge them, but right. but at least then we're giving them a chance to put their argument across, rather than just criticising them and not you know allowing them to answer back. Right. And I, I think it's worked quite well. I mean, we've received some good feedback from people that listen to it.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I notice. I mean, it might l- largely be sort of you know that the what we we would think of as accents, you know, the British accents, but but you know, I mean, your your has always seem very very polite and uh, you know um so i don't know but but like i say you know i mean you could you know you could call me a witless git in you know your 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 british accent and i would i would be charmed by it and be like oh, they're just they're just so polite <laughs> you know, so, i don't know but um I, I mean are are you do people accuse you of being like uh you know you know on the attack or something like like the the british people who are sort of you know are not fooled by your, uh, you know, your your little siren song accents?
1: <laughs> um, we've, I mean, some people we've interviewed in the past, I mean, for example, we interviewed um, a ghost research team and we challenged some of the things that they were using on their research. And it all kind of kicked off on their website after the, after the interview went out. Um, and they were criticizing us of being, um, I think they called us like, Akin to Nazis, Um, (laughs) because yeah, you know, why not go for it? Um, And they just couldn't understand why we were were challenging the ideas that this team were using. Um, I thought that was quite sad that you know they weren't willing to discuss it like we'd been willing to discuss it on the podcast, and they hadn't been willing to discuss it further. Um, But I I think more so, people that we interview, they, they actually they they. Um, often feel better that they're pleased that we've allowed them to go on there um, and, you know, discuss what what surrounds them, the, the ideas that surround them. Um, I, I don't think we've received too much bad feedback. Not that I know of, anyway. Maybe Tristan's keeping it all secret. All right. So that it doesn't hurt our feelings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> A f- couple months ago, you, you were at some, some, some sort of, like, uh, I guess it must have been, like, the British anti The Amazing Meeting. It was called Weird... Weird O nine or something?
1: That's right. Yeah, weird O nine. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was a like a paranormal.
0: Oh, US, sorry. US, I just US. I just got it. Weird O9. Oh, yeah. It, ah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they saw that when they kind of called it. You know, weird O okay. nine. But yeah, um, the weird conferences. Yeah, they're interesting. The weird O nine one was the first one. Um, they've they've done. They were kind of using it to test the waters. All right. Um, and it, it's a paranormal slash UFO conference thing. And uh, it was it was a very interesting experience. It's the first time I've ever spoken publicly in front of an audience. Um, normally, I'm I'm at my laptop with my headset on, and we record it. You know, no in no audience at all. Um, so to actually be on stage in front of people, it was just, it was probably the scariest thing I've ever done. I would imagine.
0: Okay. Uh, and what, what what was your talk about?
1: Um, I spoke about the rational side of ghosts and ghost hunting. Okay. Um. And how not everything is as weird as it seems. And I also did as part of my, my speech, because I was convinced that there was no way, because it was an hour, I was convinced there was no way that I could speak to an audience for an hour. Um, so I kind of incorporated some like tests into to my speech and, like, memory tests with the audience. Um, And I tried to, like, implant false memories. Uh, in their minds, And um, it worked, which is really cool. Good, Um, good. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But also, I did this, it was really stupid. I wish I hadn't done it now. I did this dowsing experiment where I gave my old dowsing rods to a member of the audience. And previous to the the theatre opening its doors to the public, uh, a member of the crew, uh, the weird crew, (laughs) had hidden this old key. All right. um, I didn't know where it was because I'd gone out of the building whilst it was being hidden. So I gave my dowsing rods to, to a member of the audience who volunteered and said to them, you know, um, I'll give you 20 minutes to try and find this key with with these dowsing rods. And he found the key, <laughs> which is like, oh no, that wasn't supposed to happen in front of 200 people. Um, and I've received a little bit of criticism online about that. But, you know, it's all in the, the name of fun it was it was fun more so than you know proper research and if i if i had been doing a proper um experiment in stats i would have done that like maybe a dozen times to rule out chance but people are still convinced that you know the the uber skeptic that was on the stage was proven wrong by the (laughs)
0: story though but (laughs) was
1: like when when he found the key I was just like, I didn't know what to say, and it just like <laughs> shut me up on stage, and I could feel all these eyes looking at me, and I was like, oh no, what do I do now? So, uh, yeah. so.
0: so that's one of ten trials we should be doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have probably said something like that, but at the time, my brain was going, no, this can't be happening, this can't be happening, um, and it didn't help that... Um, like i don't know if you've ever heard of asap the association of scientific study of anomalous phenomena they're more like the rational um like an organization organization here and the chairman of asap um who i know was sitting at the back of the theater and i was like oh god this is so embarrassing you know i've kind of done this test and kind of been proven wrong
2: right
1: it it was really bad but but it was a fun experience um
0: and but, Nick, Nick, Nick Pope showed up at that.
1: Yeah, he was probably like the main speaker that everybody was probably there to see. Um, who, uh, it,
0: for it our quite, listeners, for our listener in, in uh, the Czech Republic, who, who's, who's Nick Pope?
1: He used to work for the MOD, the Ministry of Defense, okay. um, investigating, I suppose you could say, the public sightings of UFOs. Um, and, you know, the people that experienced these strange lights in the sky, etc., he would go in, he'd sort of, like, interview them, and he would study the, the cases. And um, He left the Mo. I think it was three years ago yesterday, actually, on okay. Halloween that he left the M.O.D., and he started to kind of reveal some of the, the stranger things that people had seen. Um, but it was just amazing, just the excitement around Nick Pope's talk, because he, he was speaking just before I went on, so it was like... Okay. Um, Nick Pope, then there was a right, break, then it was Hayley Stevens. Um, and I was kind of hanging around the auditorium you know, getting ready to go on and as he came out of the auditorium after doing his speech, he just got mobbed by all these people. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's not going to happen to me. But, you know, it, it was quite strange to see. Um, and
0: did, did, did he have horns and smell of sulfur and... Uh...
1: He was actually a really, really nice guy. It was, you know, you kind of had this this image in your mind of Nick Pope because he's really quite well known <laughs> um, in the UFO kind of field. Um, and so you you have this like predetermined image in your mind of what he's going to be like. But actually, he was nothing like that. He was so friendly. Right. Um, and I think it was it was kind of it must have been obvious that I was absolutely, you know, nervous, so nervous about going on stage. Um, and a lot of the speakers were really nice. Actually, it was it was quite a nice surprise.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's sort of you know, it it's very easy to always demonize the other side, you know, and 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 it's important to sort of maybe <clears throat> hang around with these people because you know, lot, I mean, some of them are probably crazy, but other people are just, <laughs> they're just nice people, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know that you know that you don't want to see being put on the cattle car in the burlap sack and sent off, you know. A, little camp. Um but um yeah, so uh yeah, so I think that's that's kind of important. Just you know that that they may be coming to something through their, you know, their, their their own, you know, rational process that, you know, I mean they're 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 missing something, you know, we're seeing and and we're not seeing something they they're seeing, but you know at the end of the day just realize that they're probably not, you know, weirdos or you know or or just evil, <laughs> yeah. evil people right
1: yeah exactly and I, I was i think like the whole weekend because it was over a weekend in august it was bank holiday weekend here in england and um a lot of the speakers were people who promoted the ideas that you know extraterrestrials um, are visiting our planet um and things like that and i was one of the only ghost speakers People, somebody speaking about ghosts. The rest were UFOs, except for one other guy. Um, and this other guy, who was speaking about ghosts, was promoting the idea that you know they exist and things like that. Uh, and he was showing like a whole host of ghost photographs. So I was one of the. Very few skeptical kind of speakers, and so I didn't think I'd be very well received at all. And I was I was quite surprised uh, afterwards after I did my speech and, and I was in the the general theatre area. Just the amount of people that you know came up and said you know I don't agree with what you've said, but I think you sounded you you know you came across really well, and it was really interesting. And it, it was kind of like a, a really good feeling, you know, really good vibe from people that even though I was like the evil skeptic, right. um, people who had opposing beliefs were still just so friendly. I mean, there was one or two who weren't so friendly, right. um, but but you expect that you can't please everybody. But right. it was just nice this idea that even though everybody's views did clash, uh, people could still be civil and friendly, and it just proves you know that it is possible. Oh, that's awesome! All right,
0: yeah. and uh, so your 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 favorite conspiracy, your own conspiracy skeptic mm-hmm. to talk about your favorite conspiracy. Originally, <laughs> we were going to do. Um, so there's there's some guy in the UK who thinks that there's a game called Warhammer, yeah. twenty thousand or something. War and it's sort of like a little tabletop miniature game with you know people in battle armor and and covered oh yeah. tanks and things. Yeah, and um, and uh, and and so this. It's very popular in the UK, I think it started in the UK, and it's reasonably popular in North America. And and, and there was a guy who put up a website saying that it was, uh, uh, you know, this game was really to indoctrinate youth and to become killing machines or something.
1: Yeah, it, he was um, claiming that the Warhammer games um, were designed to kind of make the whole kind of war scenario and the tactical, thinking tactical maneuvers and stuff, a whole just normal experience for the children that were playing the games, right. which was kind of weird.
0: And, and, and I mean, that's, yeah, that's a little weird, but it was, it was sort of like his, um, you know, he started getting a lot of sort of nasty email and it was what kind of made him a more interesting character was his his response as if, you know, I'm not the weird one you people who don't believe me are weird (laughs) ones, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, he just completely shut himself down from any criticism. I think he received so much that he was like, no, no, I don't want to listen anymore. Um, And he basically (laughs) just gave off the message that anybody who disagreed with him, good for them, but he he knew that he was right. Therefore, he was right because he knew that he was right. It was just like a kind of circular reasoning going on there. Um, So yeah, I I was going to do that that kind of conspiracy around, around um, games and how they can control people, but it kind of changed. My whole conspiracy kind of changed into a completely different one.
0: Right. So so what have we decided on?
1: We are going to talk about the assassination, well, the supposed assassination of Princess Diana. Right,
0: yeah. So it's a very, very British conspiracy, which is
1: kind it of... It is. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was... Um, it kind of came around because we recently on the the podcast um, we spoke to one of the main conspiracy guys who um, promotes the idea that Diana was assassinated Um, and just doing research on it because of the interview we're going to do just the stuff that I was coming upon I was like this is way more interesting Um, and I mean I was I was 10 when she she died and I, I can clearly remember the whole kind of public reaction to her dying in in paris in in the alma tunnel um and i can remember like the national newspapers printed off like um an order of service for her funeral and we we all watched her funeral well not everybody in the country but a lot of people watched it live on telly or they were there um and you were like you had hymns and we sung the hymns and stuff it was just it was crazy. Um, just the whole, and it was, it was kind of facilitated by the, the media at the time. Um, obviously at the time I didn't know cause I was 10, you know, <laughs> I didn't know what a conspiracy was, <laughs> Right. but, um, it was just amazing looking back at how the newspapers turned it into like, Oh no, Diana, the princess has died. And, um, this is tragic when, you know, just before they, they'd all been kind of criticizing her for her lifestyle. She was the divorced princess. Um, who was going off with all these guys and going on holidays, um, on the taxpayers' money, and she was a bad guy, and then they turned it around.
0: Ah, uh, okay, yeah, it's like the. Which uh are
1: good at. There's something
0: about well, one of the newspapers in the UK uh, over what was it the HPV vaccine? It's like they're uh, in the UK where the, where the like you know the the government. Uh, wants people to get the vaccine, the HPV vaccine. The is the sort of very, very against the vaccine. They're like, oh my god, it's you know killing girls and stuff like that. But then there, yeah. but then there's sort of a in Ireland where the you know the very Catholic influenced government doesn't want the vaccine. Their editorial policy there is, you know, you're killing girls if you're not giving them the vaccine. They, you know,
1: they. Yeah. they yeah, that was that, that was quite funny. That well, it wasn't funny actually. That's that's the wrong word to use. Right. It was it was around the, the death of Natalie Morton, um, who died just hours after receiving the the cervical um ca- no the no that was the cervical cancer vaccine I'm thinking of. But um, I think I don't think it was the the swine flu vaccine that they were trying um, to promote in Ireland and then um, smear here in England. I think it was the the cancer vaccine. Oh, okay. I okay. think it was, I'm sure it was surrounding the death of Natalie Morton, who died <laughs> right. just, just hours after receiving the the um, HPV vaccine. Right, yeah. I might be wrong. It might have been the, the swine flu, the and um, one the, the vaccine with that, but I, I'm pretty sure it was the Natalie one. I remember we covered it on the, on the podcast because right, yeah. we, we were just so disgusted with the way that they treated it. Wow. But yeah, it, it just kind of, that does go to show just how, just how these papers just flip things, you know, for the, for their own means, really. Um, And it it was very reminiscent with the Diana death, um, because just before she had died, um, she was a bit of a a bad guy, if the newspapers were to be believed. But then when she died, it was like, oh, no, no, that the hero, our hero princesses died. Um, And I think it it was the 1st of August, 1997. um, And they were involved, obviously, in the the high speed car crash. (laughs) Um, And it, it just kind of devastated the whole country.
0: Okay, you give us the official story, and then uh, and then let me try and hit you with sort of the conspiracy claims, and then you can then tell me why I'm a, you know, why I'm a tin foil hat wearing freak. All right. So, okay. w- what's the official story?
1: Well, um, Princess Diana and Dodi Al-Fayed, her boyfriend at the time, um, were in Paris, and they'd entered the Ritz Hotel, which is owned by Dodi Al-Fayed's father, Mohammed Al-Fayed. Um, but they were being handed by the paparazzi, and they abandoned plans for a, a meal, uh, a restaurant, and instead decided to go to Dodi's apartment on the Champs Elysees. Okay. And the deputy he- deputy head of their security team was called back to drive the couple away from the hotel, and he's quite central to this whole story. And his name's um, um, Henri Paul, and he's he's kind of he's like the head of security at the Ritz Hotel. He's also quite integrated into the whole story. Um, they planned to try and avoid the press that were outside the hotel um, by sending a decoy driver and one of their security vehicles to the front of the building uh, to give the impression they'd be coming out at the front of the building. Um, when actually they kind of snuck out the back of the hotel with them, with the driver Diana Dodie and their bodyguard Trevor Reese Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried to get out of the back of the hotel unnoticed. However, it didn't work because the waiting press gave chase. And rather than taking the direct route to Dodie's apartment, for some reason, the Mercedes that they were traveling in tried to outrun the paparazzi and headed for a dual carriageway by um, the the, rev- the River Seine. And four minutes later, the car entered the Alma Tunnel, which is where, um, for some reason, the, the car lost control and ended up plowing into the, I think it's the 13th, column um like the you know the supporting column okay. um and the the, the op- 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 occupants of the car weren't wearing their seatbelts which didn't help you know in a car crash um and the inquest came up with the the um the, the reason that they had died was because um on the driver was um nearly four times over the legal um drink driving limit and uh, he had nearly four times the amount of um, alcohol in his blood than he should have had at the time. And the fact that they weren't wearing their seatbelts didn't help, as it wouldn't in a in a car crash. And the fact that they were speeding as well, um, they were going between, I think it was 70 miles an hour, around that kind of speed, um, when they entered the tunnel, which is quite difficult, apparently, because when you enter the tunnel, you have to do it like a sharp turn left and you go down a slope, and apparently, if you're going too fast down that slope, you kind of get a pull on the wheel. Okay. And that's how he lost control, and they um, they crashed.
0: Okay. And the, wasn't there there was like a Fiat or a Yugo or something something ostensibly involved in this?
1: Yeah, that's um, it's it's quite strange to read about that actually because the the other car is called. Uh, there is evidence that another car was involved with the collision. Um, as when they did the investigation, they found orange, white, and red bits of plastic
2: oh, on the okay. ground, right. and they
1: looked like the indicator lights from a car. And there were also traces of white paint found upon the Mercedes, like the body of the Mercedes, that looked like something had scraped along part of the car. And they did some forensic tests, and these tests revealed that the white paint and the broken light came from a Fiat Uno. Um, and it been apparently it had been manufactured between 1983 and 1987. And at that time, there were around 10,000 white Fiat Unos in France that matched that description that were still on the road. Um, so as you can imagine, that would have warranted a huge investigation right. um, into trying to find this car. And it, it has never been found, which conspiracy theorists believe is because the driver was part of the murder plot. Oh. Um, <laughs> apparently... Um, well, th- there's a few ideas surrounding this other car. Um but the main one is that he, he was, or she, the driver, um, somehow caused the, the Mercedes to crash. Um, however, senior British collision investigator Anthony Reid told the inquest into the crash that a glancing collision with a 900-kilogram Uno would not have caused the much larger Mercedes, um, which weighs approximately about two tons, right. to run off the road. He pointed out that the presence of the Uno may have caused um, Henri Paul, who was speeding, to swerve. And in, uh, in like in doing so, he may have overreacted with his steering and <laughs> subsequently lost control of the car. And when they were looking for this other car, they checked between, I think it was three and 4,000 vehicles throughout the months that followed the accident. And they zeroed in on one car that they thought might fit the description um, about three months after the accident, and they detained the owner. Um, he was a security guard, and he owned the right model of Fiat from the right year. And it had been repainted from white to red uh, the day after the Alma um, tunnel crash. But he okay. had an alibi, and he'd been working at the time, um, of the incident in the tunnel. And so they closed the case. And then they soon after, they abandoned the hunt for the missing driver. Okay. But because because they abandoned that hunt for the driver, conspiracy theorists have developed their own explanation that the car was involved in the plot um, against the princess, and thus they don't want to find the driver. Right. But that there's no sort of evidence to back that up. It's just because there were so many cars and they, you know, it was pre it was a near impossible task.
0: Right. Um so so when I was reading about the conspiracy. So the uh, so I mean there, there's there, there's a couple there's a couple conspiracies. One it's you know like the, the classic and you know, Michael it's happened with Michael Jackson and Elvis and you know, Jim Morrison and um and Jenny McCarthy, you know, that that, that they were so they were so pounded by everybody, you know, the press and th- that they just got tired and so they, they faked their own death. Oh no wait, Jenny McCarthy's still alive, damn it. Okay. Well anyway, well those other people, those 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 other minor celebrities, they, you know, they faked their own death to escape, you know, the you know, the public life and, and so yeah. so so that's, you know, one of the conspiracy theories, right? because uh Diana um I mean you know I mean Diana she had some Coin, but she wasn't super rich. But her uh, her her boyfriend at the time, Dodie, <laughs> he, Yep. right? His his father was very rich man, or is a rich man. Yes,
1: yes. He he owns Harrods and you know lots of other business ventures and stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: And did 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 he? Did he buy Herods before Diana started dating his son, or did he buy Harrods? Yeah,
1: I, I think he he owned it beforehand. Um, as far as I know, he did.
0: Okay, And inherit. I mean, again, for our you know, our our, our listeners, unfamiliar. Herods is like that's like a, a major British uh, department store, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a huge one in London, and I mean, I can remember going, it's it's very, it's classed as being very posh, but then that might just be me being very common. <laughs> um, but you, you go to Harrods and, like, you know, on, on trips to London and stuff, and um, you can only just afford to buy, like, a, a jar of sweets <laughs> It's that pricey, and, you know, and you have to pay to go to the toilets and stuff like that. It's very, very posh. It's a very big, like, department store up there, yeah.
0: Even in Canada, we we get a few. We have a few products here where there's like a big royal crest on it, saying you know by appointment to the Queen or, um, like some of the royal family people in royal family like the Queen and Prince Philip. They 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 kind of like um they put their name on products or 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 or, or, or um, businesses. You know, like like the Queen uses Pears shampoo, and so she can sort of say. I like this product, you can use my Royal Crest. And and, and for a long time, Harrods had, they, they sort of, you know, by appointment to the Queen or something like that on, on the outside of their store, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, they did. I mean, I haven't looked too much into Harrods, so I don't know a lot um, about the company. But, but they are, you know, if, if you talk to people about going to lunch, it's part of the experience that you go to Harrods because, you know, they have this reputation of being very, very posh, but then, like I said, that that could just be because I'm not very posh. Okay, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, but I guess because what the, the Dodi's father, you know, he's one of the ones who's really driving the whole conspiracy oh, thing, right? So, yeah. and, and and he sort of basically comes out now and, and says, you no, know, you know, the royal family killed my son and, and Princess die, and then and then I think like you know the Queen kind of just had her her sort of her little her crest or whatever sort of. Yanked off the front of Herod's or something. That, that's really neither here nor there, but maybe sort of segues into the uh, you know the second major conspiracy is that, um, is really pushed by you know the the you know the father of uh, of Dodi, that uh, you know that you know that the royal family um, for for various reasons. I mean, there's you know sub reasons you know sub conspiracies under that one even that you know yeah. that they, they had Princess Di bumped off because. Um you know, one, oh my god, she was, you know, I mean she's you know the mother of the future king of England and here she she was she was gonna marry a Muslim, right? You know
1: Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um it was Mohammed Al fayed who's Dodi Al Fayed's father. Um it, it was quite strange because he, like, I think it was three or f- three to five days after the initial crash, um, he had his spokesman do like, a, uh, like a publicity kind of press conference, um, and one of the questions that came up was surrounding a ring that Dodie had given to Diana or was going to give to Diana, and people were saying, "Oh, were they going to get married?" Um, and to begin with, they gave uh, like. Uh, Muhammad al-Fayed spokesperson gave you know um he didn't approve this idea he's like well nobody knows what the ring meant and we can only speculate and I'm sure that I think it was he said something like um for thousands of years in the future people will speculate about what the ring meant um but then I think it was about eight months later Muhammad al-Fayed changed his story and said that the ring actually was an engagement ring and they were going to get married um and when he was asked, how do you know that? Um, he, was sa- he said, oh, it's because um, Diana told me so over the phone. They told me on the phone. Um, and he believes that this um, marriage uh, provided the motive for the British establishment to commit murder. And he said, and I, I quote him, he says, Prince Philip will never allow my son as an Egyptian Muslim to be the stepfather of Prince William, the future king of England. Um, And he has this whole idea that Prince Philip um, was behind the assassination plot. Um, And people questioned him. Why, you know, why did you feel that Prince Philip has has done this? Why? What motive would he have? He said that uh, he was definitely sure that um, Prince Philip had done the murder because he was a racist. And it's well known, apparently, that (laughs) Prince Philip is a racist. Well, and it's sort of he, he does kind of make. Quite a few kind of comments that make you flinch you go oh no not yeah. prince philip again. but I, I don't know it and mohammed um, al went on to say that prince philip had grown up with a nazi and said do you really think he would accept my son to marry princess diana the mother of the future king of england um but then and that kind of gives you you know you read that and you think oh Maybe. But then you go, you look into it, and like you said, it kind of branches off. There's all these other ideas, and this other idea that Mohammed Al-Fayed came out with was that the princess was killed because she was pregnant. Right. And when he was asked how he knew, again, he claimed that Diana had told him over the phone. Um, <laughs> and yet there's loads of evidence um, that she wasn't pregnant. Um, for example the autopsy carried out um, when she was, when her body was brought back to England showed that she wasn't pregnant right. um, and also she vid- visited a clinic in London t- 10 days before her death for treatment for PMT and her consultant confirmed that Diana was not pregnant and yet he still claims that this pregnancy is just being covered up and that she was murdered because of it um, and there's also um, like you said the idea you know, that they were going to get married um and this is because of this supposed ring um but it's it's all very strange and like there's one of um diana's friends um, had spoken to diana i think they went on holiday about three weeks before she was killed okay um and diana had said to this this lady that was her friend um the Dodie are fired because they'd only be going out um, I think maybe around a month you right, know, so right. they, weren't, they weren't really serious or anything um, and she told this friend that Dodie had be giving her loads and loads of presents and she had the feeling that a ring was going to be one of them and uh, this friend of hers Rosa, um, I can't remember her last name, she went on to say that Diana had said that there was no way that it was going to go on her left hand she said it would be firmly <laughs> going on my right hand which gives you know the idea that you know she wasn't thinking of marrying
2: him right right
1: it's um, I don't know. I think I just feel get the feeling that Mohammed Al Fayed's very, very. He can't get over the idea that perhaps his son was just killed in an accident, you know, which I think is really, really sad.
0: You know, yeah. The, th- the thing about Diana being uh, pregnant, like when I was sort of reading about the you know the conspiracy, the um, like like the even, the, I guess there were there was some sort of um you know sort of uh, committee you know house committee on uh uh you know princess assassinations sort of done a, a few years ago and, and and they they went sort of quite methodically through many of the conspiracy claims and and what they they even sort of took like blood from the limousine that that they know came right came from Diana and they even tested that blood right to see if it indicated she was she was pregnant you know in in sort of in the event that you know the uh, you know the um, well not the mortician who, who's who's the who's the Quincy guy who uh, what, what what do you call that job the the Quincy guy who who figures out why you die pathologist or something yeah uh, yeah yeah there was a real creepy thing I was reading where the pathologist pathologist is like I examined her womb myself.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my
0: God! Like you know, the dead Princess Diana's womb. You're just kind of looking in it and going, "Yep, yeah, that's her womb." Oh, I don't know. It just kind of freaked me out, you know, when I was reading that. And um...
1: yeah, I, I think it was. Um, they did an initial like autopsy on her in in like the Paris hotel. Um, no, not the hotel. The hospital even. They wouldn't do that in a hotel. But um, then when when her body was brought back to England, they they did a further op- autopsy here. Um, and they were able to say that she wasn't pregnant then. Um, so, yeah, that that kind of just kind of disproves that whole conspiracy that she was pregnant because they did an right. autopsy, and they say she wasn't pregnant. And yet people still believe it because they go, it's a cover-up, they're lying, she was pregnant. <laughs> oh,
2: dear.
1: It's just, you can just You're never going to be able to prove to people that she wasn't pregnant, I don't think. Um,
0: okay.
1: If, you know, if they choose to believe that it was just a cover-up, they're just going to go, that's a cover-up, that's a cover-up, yeah. that's a cover-up
0: when i when i was sort of looking at the conspiracy um now a lot lot of conspiracies are sort of like okay here's the official story and then they then then the conspiracy people always go well you know this could not have happened because of this and this could not have happened because of this so for example like um you know we were talking about sort of jfk last Last episode, where you know it's like you know, you know the, the you know the the bullet could have never followed that trajectory and done those wounds and emerged pristine. So so since that is impossible, you know that the government official story is impossible, and and in the absence of you know uh, another explanation, therefore my conspiracy theory rules. And um, but with with uh you know, with the princess die conspiracy, I'm sort of reading this, and other than other than what we call just so stories like well you know it could have been you know here's a bunch of motives for the assassination I, I, I couldn't really find anything that was sort of like you know here's the official government can, you know story and well this could not have happened and this could not have happened and this could not have happened the way the government said it could have like that that, that sort of really sort of struck me that this this you know that this conspiracy is uh you know uh really really weak you know <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, the I think it was April. Oh, I think it was April seventh, two thousand and eight. The verdict of the coroner's inquest um, was announced, um, and it, it said basically Diana's um, death was caused by the reckless drive, uh, recklessness of the limo driven um, by Henri Paul. Right. Um, and there is like the major kind of theme through these conspiracies around Princess Diana's death is the driver. Um, because he was he is claimed that he was drunk mm-hmm. but people, people um, say that he wasn't this is this is the main thing that I came across in my research is that um, people are um, protesting against the idea that Arn Ray Paul was drunk right. um, the, the main thing I think really um, is this whole idea that his blood was switched because the way that they determined that he was three times over the drink drive limit, is that they did blood tests? Um, they found between 174 and 187 milligrams of alcohol for every 100 milliliters of blood in his system. And the drink-drive limit in the UK is 80 milligrams per 100 milliliters. And in France, the limit is 50 milligrams per 100. So he was way over the limit.
2: Right.
1: Um, he told uh, Robert um, Forrest, who was one of the people. Um, he reviewed the blood test carried out by the French doctors, told the inquest that the results were consistent with uh, Mr. Paul having had between five and eight shots of uh, liqueur that he was known to have been drinking that evening. Um, some eyewitnesses apparently saw him drinking this liqueur and that what he had drunk was the equivalent of drinking more than a liter of wine. Um, But these results were meant to be confidential at the time, but they were leaked to the press. And the BBC reported to the public that um, Enrapeau had been three times over the legal limit and that this had been the cause of the accident, which is what the official verdict is. However, conspiracy theorists believe that the leak was designed to cover the case as quickly as possible um, and to close it and hide a more elaborate plot. Um, And this this whole refusal to accept the official verdict gained momentum after that, really. And, you know, they, they continue to maintain um, that the blood was tampered with to frame the driver who couldn't argue back. Um, and I mean, there were definitely mistakes and, and in the actual autopsies and in the investigation. And in fact, you know, that's something that the the conspiracy theorists um, talk about a lot of these mistakes. And that that is actually a fact, a fact. Mm that they had these huge mistakes in the investigation, uh, which is really, really sad, really, um, because very recently, actually, um, some of the doctors and the investigators have um, been charged in France uh, because of these mistakes. For example, um, the Mercedes in which they were, they were traveling and the Mercedes that crashed <laughs> was, was like cut up and disposed of. Um, days after the accident, so you know it wasn't held on to so they could do investigations on the um the car they just got rid of it really really quickly, and they cleared up the crime scene really quickly and There were problems um with the blood samples from Henri Paul for example they were apparently they were left out um unlabeled, and there were there was no record of who could have had access to them. Um, and yet, even though these mistakes did happen, it doesn't necessarily mean that there was like a malicious reasoning of that, but that's something that people have jumped on, is that it must have been a cover-up, and that's why the car was taken away so quickly and the crime scene was cleaned up so quickly and the blood was tampered with. Even though there's no proof of that, that's, you know, to the conspiracy theorists, that is all the proof they need, is that this happened
0: because people people always do their job perfectly, and if they don't do their job perfectly, therefore it must be a conspiracy, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that really didn't help um, was that the CCTV leading from the Ritz Hotel all the way into the Alma Tunnel. None of it was working on that night, and for some reason all the security cameras were facing the walls that they were mounted on. Okay. Um, (laughs) Now, there's no official reason as to why that happened, Um, but in the mind of the theorists, this shows that apparently everything was being covered up, you know, and we recently spoke to John King, who authored a book called Diana, The Hidden Truth, in which, you know, and we spoke to him on, on the Righteous Indignation podcast, and in his opinion... That was that was proof that something had been covered up that somebody had done that to the cameras on purpose. Okay. But when we when we were asking him, well, who and why? Why did they do that? Who did it? How do we know they did it? He didn't have an answer. So you know, th- there are some loopholes in in the theorist reasoning.
0: Okay. Now, uh, yeah, that was the one thing I was sort of looking at it, but the. Uh... I mean, of, of all all the claims, that one seemed kind of weird. Like, you know, that supposedly there were like twenty three, uh, you know, security cameras along her route, and not one captured uh, captured anything. And and mm-hmm. but now may, maybe it could have been my misreading because you know I'm at Wendy's and I'm more interested in, in my uh, uh, <laughs> d- you know double double patty hamburger. And um, you know, so. Uh, um, but um, uh, m- my reading was that when they, when they say, like, you know, the were like, 23 CCTV cameras, what they were doing is they were sort of counting, basically, uh, you know, security cameras, like private security cameras along the route. So, like, you know, here's an apartment building. Uh, do you call them apartment buildings in England?
1: Yeah. yeah okay. We know what you mean. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. So so not like, you know, golly flats or anything like that. You don't have a no. charm... Okay, so apartment buildings. Um, so you know, like, so there'd be like a security camera, you know, on like you know stoop. Do you call them a stoop? You know, the 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 the, the door. You know, the, the...
1: yeah, okay.
0: yes. <laughs> so so you know there there's like you know it's a security camera you know sort of covering the stoop, and uh, so people count that as a security camera, and it's like well, but that would never be turned to the road, you know, because <laughs> it's oh, sort...
1: no exactly. Yeah, um, I think. I'm not sure of the exact number of security cameras on on the route because I've read somewhere there was 11, then I read that there was 13, and I've read that there were 20, and and you yourself said there there were 20, possibly 23, and I don't think, you know, that anybody's quite sure of how many there were, Um, but they were all owned by, like, independent, um, like, security firms and companies, you know, Um, and this is one of the points that we put forward to, to our guests on the podcast was, well, that's a lot of companies and are you suggesting then that all of those companies were in on some kind of conspiracy or an assassination plot um and if so why what would they have to gain and but he he didn't really have any answers and i think really it it is a bit odd yeah that all the cameras are pointing into the walls and you know they're mounted where they are mounted but i don't i I couldn't find anywhere and i did look into it because i was quite interested to see you know, if maybe they were, like... Because, like, in, in England, we have, like... Like, in our towns, you have security all over that are owned by right. one company, you know, and they have one viewing room. And I couldn't find anywhere that suggested that, that these cameras along the route were all owned by, like, the city. Right. Um, but, yeah, very, very strange. Yeah. But I don't really think it necessarily proves that anything malicious was happening. I think it could just be a very sad... Coincidence, really, that all the cameras happened to be pointing away from from the area in which the cars were were um, traveling.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I find it hard to believe that, like, you know, that the you know the French would be very tolerable of. Kind of, you know, the, the the camera security system they have in lo- lots of places in England, you know, where you know, your whole town is covered by, you know, security cameras being watched yeah. by, yeah. That you know, the French don't tolerate a lot, and I don't know if they would be real, real, real keen if the government started setting those things up. But that's just me talking on my butt, so <laughs> I
2: don't know. <laughs> uh,
1: I'm not sure. I mean, I I do I do think that the idea that all the cameras are purposely turned away is quite fanciful thinking really um and i I just get the impression i might be wrong but i just get the impression that the people who who promote these conspiracy theorists uh theories that she was assassinated have just kind of used that as as um a way to prove that they're right but actually it it doesn't prove anything There's, there's no there's nothing that they can show with that idea that the cameras were turned away, because like, like I said, when we questioned one of the theorists about why the cameras were turned away and who had done it, that, that he had no answers. So I, I just I just don't think it's a very strong argument on that point.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, if, if they were all pointing at the road, right? And then <laughs> and then you know you know I mean they could look at tapes the day before, the day before the day before, and you know and 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 you know. The, the whole route is covered and then golly that one day you know that yeah, that would seem seriously. pretty
1: weird yeah but yeah, I, it would, it would yeah. stand out
0: but it just makes me wonder did, did has anybody sort of looked at the day before and well, what, what coverage do you have of the day before you know like exactly.
1: i think yeah. it'd be a big task to do that i'm sure that they did you know i'm sure that as part of the investigation that kind of idea was looked into um but i, I like i said i do believe that all the a lot of the cameras were privately owned you know they weren't all owned by the same company and so to for a conspiracy theorist to go and do that as part of an investigation I would imagine that would be quite difficult to gain access to each of these companies and then go I want the tape from this day and this day and it would be very time consuming I couldn't find anything to suggest that anybody had done that when I, you know, like I was doing my research right
0: well, one of the interesting things, and something I kind of, um, you know, I'm big into wearing seatbelts, and um, and one of sort of the interesting things I sort of learned, one of one of the myths is, and it's almost always put forward by sometimes uh, seatbelt proponents, is that uh, the 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 one survivor, Trevor Trevor Reese Jones, um, yeah. it, it it it's been handed down that you know he was the only one wearing a seatbelt. And, there, uh,
1: yeah, there, there are a variety of stories about that, aren't there? I don't know if you've you noticed that. Yeah. They, they kind of have. Some stories say that he was, and some stories say that he was just putting his seatbelt on, or he was trying to put his seatbelt on <laughs> as they crashed.
0: <laughs> I, like I would. <laughs> like the well, moment yeah. I got in, a, got in a car, especially with, you know, like a drunk French driver. I mean, I don't know if <laughs> Fred, Paris drivers are drunk better drivers than Montreal drivers French Montreal drivers but
1: <laughs> well this is the thing that stands out to me actually is that you know that she wasn't wearing her seatbelt um, and yet one of the arguments from conspiracy theorists is that she she knew that she was going to die or that someone was going to try and kill her um, and you know she would often say um, that she was going to um, die in a car crash or somebody was going to tamper with her brakes. Right. And apparently this is because she knew that, you know, the, the royal family were out to get her. Right. Um So if if that was true and she, she felt that she, her life was being threatened, why did she get into a car and not put a seatbelt on? Right. You know, it's that that kind of, I don't, I don't get that. But then the argument that they, uh theorists then provide is that her seatbelt was jammed. Um, you know, how you put it down over your shoulder. Apparently it was jammed and it wouldn't pull down. Now, in in my opinion, somebody who's fears for her life on a regular basis, uh, because towards the end of her life, um, she would speak to astrologers and um, therapists and alternative therapists and people like that. You know, she was really heavily involved in that. Um, and her her former private secretary said that she was actually quite paranoid towards the end of her life, Um And she, you know, she was always listening to her astrologers' predictions, even, you know, the more dire. Apparently, she liked it if the predictions were more dire because it made her feel that she was right. Um, And they would, um, apparently, her her astrologers would predict um, forecasts of helicopter crashes, skiing accidents and and other uh, ways that she was going to be killed. Um, And she used towards the end of her life apparently she was seeing plots everywhere. And she even made a claim that somebody had taken a pot shot at her with a gun in Hyde Park. Um that's how her mind was working towards the end of her life apparently. So for her to get into a car and not put her seatbelt on or find the seatbelt would not work and then carry on in a high speed journey, I just find that so hard to believe. If we're to believe that, you know, she was seeing death everywhere, why would she get into a car and not and carry on with the journey knowing her seatbelt wasn't working um and not say stop we have to stop because i know that i'm going to die in a car crash it's it's just it's just weird it's a weird way of thinking that you know that somebody had tampered with her seatbelt and she didn't stop the journey even though she had this fear that that people were going to kill her one of
0: the things i thought was sort of sort of weird about this is um, you know if you're going to Assassinate princess, die. I mean, and you're going to do it in France. It, it's clear you need massive cooperation, right, from the French government and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, and and I mean, you know, Britain and France are allies, but you know, I mean, that obviously they, um, you know, have at times different sort of disputes, and you know, you know, the French don't want to, you know, go to Afghanistan or or whatever. That that seems to me that you know that the the British to assassinate Diana in France are, are giving the French this, you know, car car blanche, you know, this, uh, you know, this, this 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 bargaining chip in future that you know that they can always now use, right? You know, like I, I don't know if they would ever do that. I mean, not like not like their enemies, but. You know, sometime down the road, you know, the French could go, well, you know, we could, of course, leak out this information about this.
1: Yeah, just like blackmail England, you know. Yeah. Do as we say or we're going to tell. So, (laughs) I mean, that's that's
0: just stupid,
1: you know. Yeah, I mean, you, you just take a look at all the people that are involved in the in the whole thing, as soon as, you know, the car crashed, everybody that was involved, you've got, like, the the French police, um, all the, you know, the criminal brigade, even the people at the morgue, uh, the toxicology laboratories that tested the blood samples, the people at the hospital, because even the people at the hospital were accused of being in on it. And then you, like I said about the CCTV, you've got all the the privately owned CCTV companies that would have had to have been in on it to turn their CCTV cameras away. Um, And, you know even even if it was in uh, in england if that had happened in england i think the amount of people that they would have had to have had involved and aware of the assassination plot you know something would have gotten out um you know somebody would have gone to the papers and blown the whistle so for yeah so for it to have happened in france as well not only would it involve all the people in england um because uh, either like the royal family the people involved with the royal family who supposedly killed her or MI5 or MI6 or whoever, and all the CIA or the government in England. But also, yeah, they then involved the, the people in France that would have had, it, was, it would have just been a huge operation. And there would have been so many people that would have had to have kept it a secret and that whoever orchestrated it would have had to keep an eye on to make sure they weren't spilling the secrets. It's just, it would be so big. And, it would just be impossible. I think we would have heard by now somebody who blew the whistle.
0: Yeah. and I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Diana was known to get on a boat once in a while. I mean, think think of how many famous people have you know have died in like a boating accident, like they've you know they fallen off drunk and drowned and stuff like that. There was there, was a, there was a big publisher, British newspaper publisher, I think. He 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 fell off his yacht and and and, and died, and and then there was like the famous. Movie star in America, um, I forget her, what her name was, but you know she she sort of fell off a boat. she was sort of just in the middle of finishing up a movie and she sort of fell off a boat and and and, and, and died and, and um, i don 't know Brian Wilson did he fall off a boat and die but regardless you know he, yeah I think that, that seems to be a pretty good way of like bumping somebody off you know and not raising a lot of suspicion, just send out a couple of frog men and you know well, like the, the French did to the uh what was it the rainbow warrior in New Zealand the French the only people to bomb Greenpeace you know <laughs> it's like where they just you know they just tried to blow up the, the the their boat you know like there's I don't know there's different ways you can sort of kill somebody You don't have to kill them in a very spectacular way in France but
1: no i I do feel though um just just reading all that I have about the this conspiracy, um, that no matter how she had died, even if she died in her sleep, in, in her bed in a hotel in Paris or um, wherever she was staying, I still think people would believe that she had been assassinated because she was she was quite well loved by a lot of people. Um, I think that was proven at her funeral with right. just the amount of people. I mean, it was huge. It really was. I've never seen anything quite like it and even when the queen mother died that didn't even match the you know the the tie out for diana's funeral um so even if she died in her sleep people would still say it was um an assassination because she was an incredible person to a lot a lot of people and incredible people it seems just can't can't have a normal death there has to be more to it right and- Yeah. And I think that's quite sad because at the time of her death, her sons were very young, you know, and I can remember watching television, watching it live on television. And I can remember them walking down towards the the church where she was, where her funeral took place, you know, behind her coffin. Um, and on top of her coffin, there was like this huge big wreath of flowers and it had a little envelope in the front with mummy written on it. Right, right. And I remember them walking down behind the coffin with Prince Charles and, and, you know, the other royal family members. And it was just so sad. And it's still sad that, you know, her death is still trampled on to to this day, you know. And that um, her sons have to be remem- reminded of... Of how she died, and just just the lies as well, and, and all these ideas that come out about her being pregnant, about her tr- going to marry um, Dolia fired, and all these ideas, and the idea that she killed herself and is, um, or you know, staged her own death and is now in hiding, it, it just must be horrible to read that about your own mother over and over. And it, it's, I think it's all fuelled through the fact that people just can't accept that she might have just been involved in a very tragic accident.
0: Absolutely. All right. Okay. So I guess we we should we should wrap up. Uh, so 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 Haley, do you do, um, final question? Uh, what, what what's your favorite kitchen appliance? Small, very small kitchen appliance.
1: Small kitchen appliance. See, this one had me thinking for ages, um, and the one that I've come up with, and it is really random, and I, um, I apologize for that. Is we've got this um, it's like mini little frying pan. Uh, it's about the size of my hand, Okay. and it's the shape of a heart, and it's got this lid on it, and it's so that you can make heart-shaped pancakes, and uh-huh. that's that's my favourite kitchen appliance because it's just so cool, just to make heart-shaped pancakes. I go, look, my pancakes are heart-shaped.
0: <laughs> do you, only, do you <laughs> only pull that out on uh, Valentine's Day, or, or are there other occasions?
1: Well, we have we have Pancake Day um, that we we kind of put it out on but you can also use it for like fried eggs and stuff and have heart ah, shaped okay. eggs. So it's yeah, it's just a bit of fun. Okay. A bit of random fun.
0: What's that what's that holiday you have where everybody wears like a red clown nose?
1: Oh, that's that's not a holiday, that's um red nose day. That's to raise money for um, comic relief. Okay. Which it's a really, really good cause. Um, it helps people um, in England and all around the world really, um, who are in in need and poverty, and you know, are suffering. Oh, okay. good. Really
0: what, 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 do you know what day that's on?
1: Oh, god, no. <laughs> Sorry. I think, I think it's in, I don't know, July or August. I should know, really, because the company I used to work for were big sponsors of it. Oh,
2: okay. Um,
1: but I do know that the country just goes mad. Um, uh, well, a lot of the country goes mad. For example, I remember the last red nose day we had. Um, I ate insects to raise money, which was just horrible, <laughs> horrible, but people just do random stuff, and you know, like eating insects, or sitting in baths full of baked beans, and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> wow, and we're, we're recording this on November 1, uh, All Saints Day, but it was it Guy, Guy Fox Day, that, that's coming up, right?
1: It is, yeah, four days' time, November 5th, it's my brother's birthday, actually, so. Really,
0: okay. Do you do do anything for Guy Fawkes Day?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, my brother um, was born on November 5th. Oh, oh, sorry. (laughs) We've we've always kind of used it as a way to um, celebrate his birthday. Because obviously the tradition is to build a big bonfire um, and throw a guy on it. And by a guy, I don't mean somebody real. (laughs) We don't throw people. We don't make sacrifices or anything. Guy as
0: in the name, Guy Fawkes
1: yeah, you, right. you basically like make a. It's a bit like making a scarecrow and like an effigy really, which is kind of a bit twisted. And like, you, a,
0: you like a wicker man,
1: sort of. And then we we throw this scarecrow kind of thing on top of the fire. Okay. Um And that kind of represents the the gunpowder plot really in Guy Fawkes. Um, okay. And we we also set off fireworks. Only I find it, it's really annoying because people don't just do it on November fifth anymore. I mean, for probably for like the last week, we've had fireworks going off, which is really random and really annoying.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Wow>.
1: <laughs> all
0: right, and uh, I guess I should, we should we should we should we should wrap up. Um, so so we, um, this is done on November one, and probably Sundays, probably by. Friday, I'll have it up. When, when will you have the uh, y- y- your interview with the Princess Die person up?
1: Ooh, I'd say it's probably going to be um, in about four weeks' time. Oh, okay. So probably within the next month, it will go up sometime.
0: All right, awesome. So 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 look for it then. This is just like a little preview.
1: Yeah, it might not be too impressive because he did kind of wrap us up. Okay. <laughs> in in like his reasoning, and I, I know that I had the feeling of sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, where do I go next?" But it, it should make for interest in listening just to hear uh, the story from a different point of view. Okay, alright.
0: And uh, I guess, you know, full disclosure, uh, I, I I was on your show uh, many moons ago now. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, back back when it was just you and you and Tristan before the yeah. other guy got there.
1: <laughs> yeah, before the other guy invaded and never left.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I I didn't really know anything about your show, and um and then when you were interviewing me, it was sort of you and Tristan, and um and I thought it was just a, like a pure interview show, and uh, and so Tristan is asking all these questions, and you're just there saying nothing, and then I, I felt really bad, and I'm like, Tristan, can you just give maybe a couple of questions to Haley? Because I'm like, what kind of show is this? Where you don't talk, you know. You just sometimes go, oh, he's not a chav, he's not a chav, you know. And and I'm like, well, that's that's a weird show. And then and then when I listen to your show after interviewed, I realize, oh, okay, the interview is just one portion, and there's a whole there's a whole. It's like skeptic side to universe, and you bring up news stories and stuff like that, and I realized, you know, Haley. You carry the show, you know. It's, it's like Tristan does the interviews, but the rest of the stuff—it's just like you know—you're out there digging up the stories and and yeah, um, yeah <laughs> and uh, and uh, well, well, the thing about the the was the giant, not the giant octopus,
1: yeah,
0: uh, the jellyfish, the, the jellyfish. <laughs> yes, that was that was <laughs> like you get a lot of really weird. Like uh, maybe it's just England, and you know, I don't know, like. Uh, I'm not saying inbreeding. I'm not saying that, okay? But I'm just saying, you know, a lot of daft, you know, daft news stories are like weird things, and yep. like we don't. The skeptical podcast here usually don't cover, and it's just, and, and you guys deal with it with like a lot of humor, and and like people can hear you laughing, and that's you, 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 you. you, you You've got this great laugh that sort of leads into this item, and you laugh through it, and you laugh out of it. And, and it, it, it really adds a nice element to the...
1: I think if we don't laugh, we'll cry. That's that's the reason there's a lot of laughter. Um, and, yeah, we do cover the weird stuff. Right. I think it, it needs to be covered, really, because just, just random, really weird stories... Um, every day emerge every single day here in england and the scary thing is that people believe these stories and if if like i said if you don't laugh you're gonna cry because anybody who's a rational thinker um just gets bombarded with this this sheer stupidity um and it really is it's probably harsh to say that it's stupid but it really is and the the press over here okay some some journalists are very rational and you know uh they'll investigate what they're reporting but a lot of them don't and and if they don't then somebody needs to and and we just try and you know give a different spin on some of the really random stuff um and yeah if we if we don't laugh we'll cry and the, the laughter it shouldn't it's i swear tristan does it on purpose he edits it in <laughs> Um, (laughs) because you know it's it's really bad because we do cover some really random stuff and you'll be recording and there'll be three of us because we we're all you know in different parts of the UK and I'll be like I can't help it I'll be in my room and I'll have like you know I'll be biting on my hand trying not to laugh at these stories and during the interviews, there was this one interview we did, and I just burst into laughter halfway through it, and I had to like, had to like put this cushion over my face to try and shove myself up. <laughs> and yet, yet you can still hear me laughing in the background, and it sounds terrible. This poor bloke is uh, telling us all about his theory, and there's me going, hee like, oh no, he must think I'm a right cow. But yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, it kind of adds to the to the show, I think.
0: And now that um, Rebecca Watson, she's married and off the market, um, have you have you found that like you're getting a lot of marriage proposals from the uh, from the skeptical community?
1: No, I haven't had any proposals. Really? Um, okay. No, but Tristan, he's really meddling. It's not very nice. <laughs> on a on a recent show, we got a comment from somebody that said that my voice was like um, cinnamon sprinkled on toast with honey and they i had a really nice voice oh. and so tristan launched this thing where people can send in um like you know like you get dating services where you do like a recording and then people can respond right, yeah. he said that he's asked people to send those in for me which is just really embarrassing and he he's very meddling like that and he's he sounds really nice on on the show but actually he's really evil <laughs> <People
0: don't
1: realize laughs> so he's really
0: evil he tortures us yeah uh no, no, for our, our more gentle listeners and, and children in the audience, I'm going to use a term that refers to a lady's vagina. But uh, there, there was one famous comment, and it's, it's developed as a bit of a meme on on oh. that, where, where someone wrote in saying that, that Tristan, he's a bit of a twat, you know? Yeah. That Haley she seems nice enough, but that Tristan's just a twat.
1: <laughs> yes, an attention-seeking one at that as well. Right, right, an yeah.
0: attention-seeking <laughs> twat. And, and, uh, but yeah, I mean... Tristan's a really nice guy, but I mean... <laughs> he
1: is, yeah, I, I, you know, all joking aside, he yep. is a very, very nice guy, and he knows, you know, what he's talking about, really. Um, and it was... The Righteous Indignation podcast was Tristan's idea. He's, like, the mastermind behind it. And I think the following that it's got now, I mean, as as far as I know, we get, like, a minimum of 400 downloads per, per week, you know, each episode, like, as soon as it's launched... I, I, that might not be accurate we we okay. do get a hell of a lot of listeners and we get a lot of feedback and it's it's really positive and and i think that's really good because it's testament to all the hard work that tristan puts into it because really all, all i do is um turn up and read out a story right. but but tristan takes all the recordings and he edits them down and he gets all the guests and he he's like public relations and everything and it, it's, it's really good um and it's really nice that it's been so successful awesome we
0: should we should end then on you know you know our how we've we've sort of deified tristan <laughs> <laughs> it's a good it's a good thing to end on
1: yeah
0: tristan he's the greatest
1: yeah <laughs> not, he's wonderful not, not a twat <laughs> <laughs> no he's not no all oh, joking aside he's not
0: all right well thanks Haley. thanks for thanks for being on
1: no problem. Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, and again, Righteous righteous Indignation. I'll put a link to it, obviously, on, on the webpage. If, if it's not, it's probably already in the little sidebar, but um, if not, I'll, I'll put a link to it. And um, do, do you have an easy URL?
1: Sort of. It's um, www.ripodcast.co.uk.
0: Okay, all right. So Righteous Indignation, but
1: ripodcast.co.uk.
0: Crazy. Okay. All right then. We'll have, a, have a good. Have a good afternoon there.
1: Wonderful. A day.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.